You've just landed a new position. It's exciting, but can also be daunting. Now that you've got it, where do you begin? On this episode, the key things to be considering and doing at the start of a big leadership role. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 617. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. I bet you've taken on a big leadership role in the past, or maybe you have one right in front of you now, or you will in the near future. If you've taken on a big role, you know what a big transition that is. On this conversation, I'm so excited to welcome an expert that's going to help us to think about how to take on a big new role and what are the mindsets and some of the tactics we can use to help us to find success in making that big transition. I'm so glad to welcome Carol Kaufman to the show today. She's an international leader in the field of coaching and has more than 40,000 hours of practice. Her clients are C-level leaders and their teams, or elite athletes and creatives. She was shortlisted by Thinkers50 as one of the top eight coaches around the globe for her thought leadership, entrepreneurial spirit, and contribution to coaching best practices. She's the founding member of Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches and ranked the number one leadership coach in the world. She founded the Institute of Coaching with a $2 million gift from the Harnish Foundation. Carol's an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School, a visiting professor at Henley Business School, and a senior leadership advisor at Egon Zender. At Harvard, she launched the annual Coaching and Leadership and Healthcare Conference, one of the school's most highly attended events. Her professional development program, Leader as Coach, won Harvard's inaugural program award for Culture of Excellence and Mentoring, and has been rolled out throughout the United States. She was also the founding editor-in-chief of Coaching, an international journal of theory, research, and practice, the first peer-reviewed coaching journal published by a major house. She is the author with David Noble of Real-Time Leadership, Find Your Winning Moves When the Stakes Are High. Carol, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Oh, me too. And I was thinking about this conversation and thinking about taking on a big new role. And I'm curious when that happened for you in your career and what that experience was like taking on a big new role yourself. It was terrifying. Mm. <laughs> you you hinted at it. Not a decade plus ago, I was approached by this woman, Ruth Ann Harnish of the Harnish Foundation, who basically said to me that she was going to give me $2 million to start the Institute of Coaching, to which I said to her, excuse me, doesn't it bother you in the least that I have never led anything in my life? Uh... And she said, no, actually, have you heard of this thing called leadership coaching? So <laughs> I started from the ground up. Everything was new. And in this chapter in the book on first time, big, big role, I, I, <laughs> I lived it all and I made every mistake possible. Yeah, it's it's such a shift when you take on a role, especially when it is a role that's so visible for the very first time in how you act, but also how you think. And one of the things you mention in the book is that it requires a clear vision. 
And I'm quoting David and you now. You write, you have a whole new set of relationships with your bosses or board, peers, and team, some of whom may be your former peers. From your new position, you need to see each of these key players clearly for who they are now. You can't be clouded by your hopes and wishes for friends or subconscious bias towards, say, your former department. That that's hard, isn't it? And I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious what helps people to make that shift to be able to get to that place where they have that clear vision. Great question. So one of the things we talk about in the the book. The the move model is MOVE and M is about being mindfully alert to three dimensions of leadership, which is what do you need to do, who do you need to be, and how you need to relate. And it's that second one. Who do you need to be? What are your internal resources? And those are what you really have to develop in order to be able to overcome those mindsets. Because I think Ego is the enemy. And ego is the enemy whether you're a chest beater, like I'm so much better than everyone, or if you're a shrinker, which is everybody's better than me. Either one of those is ego. Mm. And either one of those can really distort your view of reality. You say that it's key to also have the right resolution. And resolution isn't resolving something in this case. It's it's an analogy mm. for how clear or fuzzy something is. I'm wondering if you could paint the picture of how you think about that. Uh, should I paint a clear one or a fuzzy one? <laughs> Maybe um, both. <laughs> so what it, what it is, so, okay, so first you want clarity, which is the ability to see without rose-colored glasses on or charcoal-colored glasses on or nearsighted, farsighted, et cetera. But then there's the right resolution. When you step into one of these big new roles, there are so many things to look at. And you need to decide which ones do you kind of look at at a more high-density way and which ones are okay to have a grainy picture of. And so there's that ability to step back to get the right resolution. Because I think we know people who sort of try to do an eagle eye on everything and and, and that's just not possible. You can't scale leadership that way. So I'd say the right resolution is the wisdom to know what you need super, super detailed view on and what you need just an impressionistic picture. So the key is really know your default and then protect yourself from it, either by, again, that second dimension of leadership of really knowing yourself, knowing your flaws and trying to correct or having really good relationships where then people can say to you like, hey, hey, Dave, you're lasering in too much. Or, hey, Carol, your vision's a little fuzzy. So know your default and adjust for it, I would say, is probably the key factor. And there's an element there of someone who's not you perhaps saying something in advance and having that person watch for that and be the coach, the mentor, the guide that can maybe point some of that out when you're going down that path, you don't see it. Yeah, because I guess that's the other superpower you need when you're stepping into a new role is you have to be open and lean into feedback, lean into what you need to learn. Because we tend to base what we do on our vision of the past or even the present, but we're in this very unpredictable future. So yes, I think having people around that you can trust, and it's hard because the more powerful you are, 
the fewer people tell you the truth. Yeah, indeed. Speaking of unpredictable, there's an element of figuring out mandate in this. And I I think most Mm. of us, when we take on a big new role, there is some mandate that has been explicitly or assumed as far as what we're going to do. And sometimes that's exactly or very close to as advertised. Sometimes it's really different than what we expected. And oftentimes there's a lot of in-between, right? There's some things that like big picture, yeah, I knew what I was getting into. But you realize pretty quickly, oh, there's a bunch of stuff here that I didn't necessarily see or anticipate. What's a good starting point to figure out if you you have the right mandate and the mandate that you are perceiving or have been told is actually the one that's true? Yeah, that's a really tough one. I think you hinted at it is we fill in the blanks with our hopes or our fears. And what we really need to do is have that clear vantage point that you can validate. And being able to have a clear vantage point is, pardon the pun, an advantage. It helps you see. So again, you have to overcome the ego part of I'm so great, I can figure it out. Nothing replaces due diligence. And the other one is to watch for disconnects between what you are told and what you see. So for example, there there was one of the leaders we were coaching and the CEO said, we need a reduction in force and we are behind you. And okay, she gets to the first meeting and talks about it. And the next thing she knows the CEO is gone, is disappeared. And this mandate that she thought she had, she did not have. Uh-huh. And so in, in this one case, she handled it very badly. But it's, first of all, have a lot of awareness and compassion for yourself when you get it wrong so that you can correct. The mandate may be that you think you have authority and you get there and you do not. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong. And very often when you've been given a wrong mandate, it's not that they did it on purpose. It's that I'm sure you've seen this. A new person is invited in because they want new DNA. Then when the new DNA expresses itself, it's like a virus and all the antibodies in the organization come in to kill it. So there's a lot of things that can be going on that can interfere with your mandate. And again, it's be really clear, triangulate and check things out and be ready to shift with the changing demands that come at you because change in mandate could also just be reality changed. Yeah, indeed. And there's almost an element here of walking into this with a, yes, what's my mandate, but also a healthy sense of I'm willing to listen and watch and adapt, and also be curious and ask questions. And I think that that's what I'm hearing in what you said, is when you end up in an interaction or someone says something that's an indicator that, ooh, this is different than what I signed up for, that rather than pushing back on that, at least initially, the invitation is, be curious there. Like That's a time to like lean in a bit and find out like what's, what's happening, what's going on. Yeah, yeah, because you asked about my first new job, and that was when I was thrust into the position of being the founder of the Institute of Coaching, and there's about 30,000 in our community, and I started this with Margaret Moore and Susan David, and in that case, nobody gave, well, my mandate was start an international organization for coaching. I then, like, you're out of your mind, 
then it's like, okay, well, I have to do it. And then I became vulnerable to what a lot of people are, is I decided my mandate is I have to make this happen, do or die. I have to please my goddess, Ruth Ann Harnash. And my mandate was push, push, push. And instead, my mandate should have been team, team, team. So we can also give ourselves the wrong mandate. And it really took me a while to get from my job is to push the boulder up the hill to my job is to help everybody to want to push that boulder up a hill. And I think that's a challenge that a lot of us have when we step into kind of new roles with a lot of authority and a a big job to do. I remember when you took on that role because I remember getting mailers about it and hearing about it in the coaching world of like what a what a cool oh. new program it was. And it's interesting all these years later now, like hearing that experience that you were going through. And as I think about what you just said of pushing the boulder up the hill yourself versus thinking it from from a team standpoint, if you went back now all these years later and thought about it of re-entering that. What would have gotten you there faster? What would have been the mindset or the internal thinking that would have helped you to shift that sooner? Great question. I think if I hadn't gone into a place of automatically wanting to please my donor so much on her faith in me, that I then went into solo mode, that I needed to do this myself. And Mm. The thing that I didn't do that I really learned later was it's it's one of the things we talk about in another part of the, the model. So the M-O-V-E, so V is for the vantage point. E is to engage and affect change with your signals that you send out. And I think what I did not do is send out the signals of we are a team. We all need to do this together. And to hold myself back at times to have a more, the kind of leadership today that we know is is necessary, which is a more egalitarian, a more group leadership rather than feeling that I had to do it myself. So if I had communicated better earlier on and realized that I had to go slow to go fast, I think that the Institute wound up being very successful, but there was a lot of wear and tear on me and on Margaret Moore and Susan David that would have been much better had I been able to go slower and been more collaborative from the start. We all sort of know that intellectually, that we need to slow down to go far. And yet, somehow when we get into these roles, like our tendency is just to jump in and not stop and reflect sometimes. And so I I so appreciate you sharing that of just to be able to really take that step back is so critical. And, And it actually leads to one of the other points that you make about taking on a a big new role is altitude, that there's a Mm. higher elevation here and the need in almost every big new role to see a lot further ahead than you're used to looking at. And it strikes me as something that's a really big challenge for so many of us. When you see someone move into a new role and, and try to get their head around altitude, what are the kinds of things you and David are asking in those interactions that help people to start to see that at that different altitude? Okay. There's about five things I want to say at once. One of the things is, what's your scope? Are you, for example, a lot of people step into leadership, they've been a subject matter expert. And now when they step into a bigger role, they want to be even bigger subject matter experts. So I had one guy, loved loved this guy. 
He worked in a very high intense environment. He had about, I think, 300 people under him, and he was like the subject matter expert king. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they doubled his role. And he, he calls me up. And I said, well, how are you going to do this? And then he made this big confession, which was absolutely hilarious. He said, well, I really don't understand all of the research from all of the new labs I'm running. So I've secretly hired a bunch of scientists to go in and assess all of the different projects and let me know what it is that's right or wrong about them so I can render my opinion. Oh, wow. I said something like, and that's a good idea. And let's let's explore the assumptions under here. And basically what we, we, we understood was that being a subject matter expert just doesn't scale. So in a way, I had learned a teeny bit of that lesson from my own, own life, but much more from him is what is a new identity? It's I am a leader. I'm this because I know more than anybody else. As opposed to now, how do you step into being a leader of leaders? And it's really hard because it's less tangible. But so on one hand, you've got subject matter expert to go into leader of leaders. But then you've got people who are heads of big silos. And what they have to do is step into enterprise leadership, where instead of just thinking about my own vertical, my finance or HR or marketing or whatever, but how do you then transcend your own silo and area so that you have the true enterprise in mind? And that is like the toughest challenge for leaders to face because, you know, who wants to sub-optimize, you know, the the concept that, that Google has made a bit famous, but how do you then look beyond yourself to the bigger organization? And that that's a very tough issue. And it's an identity one. And it's scary because you have to let go of what you know and try something new. And it's just really frightening to do that. Oh, gosh, I, I bet. And you've said the word identity a few times. And I think about that, especially in taking on that new role of no longer being the subject matter expert of no mm-hmm. longer just running sales and marketing or finance, and now it's something larger. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen people who have really, really struggled with this for a while. And then you've also seen people who have been able to shift pretty quickly to take on that new identity. Mm-hmm. With the people who shift faster, what helps them to take on that new identity more quickly? Well, there's a bunch of answers of that. And Again, I keep going back to that, that what we call that second dimension of leadership. There's what do you need to do and then who do you need to be? And to ask yourself a question when, when you're in one of these meetings, like who, who do I want to be right now? Who do I need to be right now? And do I really need to be the subject matter expert? Do I really need to be the head of finance or do I need to be an enterprise leader? And it's being willing to kind of open up your mind and heart to a bigger playing field that can do it. But one thing, and this goes back to, again, my own story in a, in a very mini way, which is where I came up with an idea of something called entity identity, which is, so in my role as the founder of the Institute, in one of my clients' roles as the CEO of a Fortune 20 company or a nonprofit, there is me. So I'll use me as an, 
as the example is. So there I was, I'm, I'm Carol. Okay. So that's one person. Carol has her issues and foibles and strengths, et cetera. But then there's Carol, the entity. So that when I am in, say, one of our conferences, I don't show up as Carol. I show up as the entity of the Institute of Coaching, and I am the conduit for the message and the vision and the mission of that organization. And I see that sort of flow through me. And that is who I am. I am not Carol. I am the entity of the Institute. And for you, Dave, you're I mean, you're you're Dave the person, but you're also Dave in the role of the leader of this extremely well-known podcast. And when people come up to you, you need to relate to them from your entity perspective. Right. So it's like you could be tired and cranky, and some sniveling person comes up to you and wants help, and you, Dave, is like, oh, please just let me die. But <laughs> Dave, the entity is I am here to be of service. Yeah. How can I be of service to this person right? now. And having that, it's an entity power because it's like, I'm here to be of service. I can transcend myself right now, be an ambassador for my organization. And when I'm able to do that, I find that I have a lot more energy Mm. because it isn't Carol getting depleted. Carol is the conduit for the message of the Institute. And getting that, I think the great the really great leaders just need to do that in a much bigger way. And and one of my guys, I love to bets, is a Fortune 20 CEO. And he said to me, Carol, I feel like everybody owns me. Everyone thinks they own me. To which I said, that's because they do. Mm. It's such a helpful shift. Like what a what a helpful thing tactically to be able to think of, of going into an interaction or a day or a meeting. There's a beautiful example in the book you write of, I believe, an executive director of maybe a nonprofit or an, an organization who was a very introverted person. And yet yeah. she would use that framework of when she would go into a event or a conference would say, I'm not showing up as me. I'm not here for me. This isn't about me. This is about me the entity because people see me as the entity because I have this role and that that was so helpful for her to not only do a better job but also to feel like comfortable in that moment like it's it for me it's a shift away in a way from selfishness which we all have but it's it's a shift to service of like doing something that actually helps you as a mindset to get into a place of like I'm I'm here to serve I'm here as the entity to really support the people that are our stakeholders Yeah. And there is an enormous power and empowerment in that service mentality. And it's ironic because the more you can enter a service headset, the more powerful you are. It's just not ego power. It's a different kind of power and capacity to have an impact. But the other thing is the gorilla effect. That's the dark side of entity identity in a way. So one of the things is when you are powerful, very few people tell you the truth. And the question is, well, why? So, I mean, partly it's it's your power and you have to get used to that. So I kind of used to kid that I learned everything about leadership from a joke my friend Robin Kamphausen told me when I was seven, which was a thousand pound gorilla walks into a really crowded bar. Where does it sit? And where does it sit? 
anywhere he wants. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. Anywhere they want. And so then what I have to remind people, and we all need to remind this of ourselves, is that when you have an influence and impact over somebody's livelihood, access to resources, future of their career, anything, you are the gorilla. And you are never not the gorilla. So that's why I say the big secret of leadership is that leadership sucks because you don't have the freedom often to just be or do whatever you want because you are A, the entity, and B, like when you're the gorilla, if you know, somebody just does something and you sort of like throw your arms out. Now imagine there's a thousand pound gorilla throwing its arms out and people go flying. Now the flip side is when that gorilla says, Dave, that was an incredible job. The gorilla has power in a positive way. So how do you not forget that who you are to other people isn't who you are to yourself? You may feel like a chimp in a gorilla suit, but the reality is, is when you are a leader and you are you have control or impact over others' resources, that's always a part of how people see you. And it's a great responsibility. And the sooner you make peace with that, the better it is for you and everyone else in the organization. And I've seen, and I'm sure you have too, Carol, seen people just really struggle with that of like, well, I'm not really, people don't see me that way. I'm not really the leader. I don't, like you said, that I'm in a gorilla suit, but I'm really a chimp. Like yeah. making peace with that and just understanding that reality is, is really important to be able to get there faster. And an, a funny application for it that I've actually had to coach people on is accepting compliments. So there you are. People see you as powerful or really helpful. And maybe you in your heart know you, you, you really weren't the one responsible for this good thing, but they're thanking you for it. Your job is to say you're welcome or thank you or to really appreciate what this other person is seeing yeah. because otherwise it can feel like a rejection. And people don't realize that, that if you say, oh, like, Dave, thank you. That was so good. And you go, oh, that was like nothing. That's actually, the other person can feel that as a rejection. So again, it's more part of the power and the empowering power you have as a leader and getting used to it. As we said, you know, when you're stepping into one of these new roles, it's weird. And a lot of people feel lost. And then I have my own riff on confidence and the imposter syndrome, which is if you're stepping into a new role and you don't feel a little bit lost and you don't feel a little bit like an imposter, then you're not taking your role, your new role very seriously. Because mm -hmm. the reality is success feels like feeling lost. Because if you are somewhere new, you haven't been there before, you have that lost feeling. And it doesn't help you or anyone to pathologize that into saying you feel like an imposter. No, you feel new. You feel a bit lost. So then how can you help yourself get what you need to feel more able to do what you do? And I, I sort of kid that there's a three o'clock in the morning club because I can't tell you how many of like, I think of a chief marketing officer who has a $10 billion budget. And another major, a, a whole bunch of, and they're all up at three o'clock in the morning going, oh my God, can I really do this? These are the most successful people in the world. Yeah. So 
I, I keep telling them, listen, just know that that at this very moment, there is at least a thousand C-level leaders right now in your own time zone, waking up at three o'clock in the morning going, I don't know if I can do this. Mm. And that's not imposter syndrome. That is really taking your new responsibilities seriously. Now, the other side is if you don't have the skills for something, just work hard and go get them. But I do think that we misunderstand the imposter syndrome a lot. And there is a psychological element to it, but often it's this is what an upward trajectory, this is what stepping into a new and big role feels like. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I was thinking about what you said a moment ago about accepting recognition. I, I learned years ago at Dale Carnegie, someone used the analogy of accepting recognition from someone is like accepting a gift. And mm. any of us like at a holiday celebration or birthday party, if someone gave us a gift, we would thank them and we would be gracious. And and maybe we'd be thinking in our mind, I'm going to return this gift the minute this person leaves and I'm going to get rid of it to the store or donate it, right? But we would never say that. We would never like drop it on the floor and stomp on it. And yet, when mm. accepting recognition, like so often, our tendency is to discount it or say it wasn't really me. Or and 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 of mm-hmm. course, we're not saying like take credit for you know work that's not yours. But I mean, the, the graciousness of just like accepting a gift and allowing that that moment where that person is interacting with the gorilla to go back to that analogy to like really be meaningful and important and gracious, like so so important. Absolutely. And the idea is that we can make or break somebody's day, week, or month with how we respond. Indeed. It's all about relationships. Speaking of relationships, I highlighted this line several times in the book, and it's the thing that like struck me as most significant that I think that a lot of leaders miss when they move into a new role. You write, cultivate relationships with new peers. This is the hardest to do, but also the most important. Good peer relationships are the strongest predictor of success in a new role. I highlighted that and I thought, wow, how much time we focus, rightfully so, on the new manager we're reporting to or the new team, but how little time and effort we tend to think about new peers. What's so critical Mm -hmm. about those peer relationships? Everything. You really overlook your peers at your peril on so many levels. I had the wonderful experience of working with Harvard Business School and the Authentic Leadership Institute at Unilever with Paul Pullman for six years. And as a result, we were only supposed to start out with the top 20 and we wound up having 130 of the top and then 300. And so I read more evaluations of leaders than you can shake 40 sticks at. Mm. And so much of the time, the the biggies were strategy and peer relationships. And why is that? So one is, particularly as we're getting more team-oriented and you're in a matrix organization where you need influence, your peers really influence your resources. I mean, they're all your gorillas in a way. You're just a gorilla too. And and so that's resources. So that's number one. Number two is chances are you will become the boss of those peers. So if they don't love you, you're screwed and or you don't get the job. But the other thing is, is we have kind of 
unspoken rules or spoken rules of this is how I manage up, kind of know what to do. This is how I manage down with my reports. I know what I'm to do. Now I'm with my peers. It's a wild west. And there aren't sort of guidelines for how to do it. But if you don't really hold your peers with respect, develop trust with them, and understand what their struggles are. So for example, sometimes people ask me to talk on empathy. And so I say, so what is empathy? Well, empathy isn't just like a fuzzy feeling. It's really knowing someone else's story as well as they do. So there you are in a team, wherever it is in the organization, do you understand what the equivalent of the CFO needs as well as you understand what you need? Do you know what the chief revenue officer needs? What's important to them? The human capital person. The, can you really understand what all of the other people need and how you can be of service to them? Because an ounce of effort in that direction can lead you many pounds of outcome. Well, and to your point, so many people don't really think about peer relationships stepping into a new role in a in such a intentional way, like we do managing up and team leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it is it as simple as starting to set up some one on one conversations and being curious and finding like asking those questions of like what's important, what do you care about, what are you struggling with, those kinds of things, or is there something else that is helpful as a starting point for that? Well, I I actually think it is just exactly what you said. Peers are people, peers are people too, and they matter. And I think you also have to really, I keep harping back to the second dimension of leadership of who do you want to be, your character, your values. And here it's like, manage yourself. As Peter Drucker said, managing ourselves. Manage your competitive instincts with your peers manage your own sense of I'm better than they are, or they're better than I am, just sort of manage those emotional states that that you can, that peers can trigger you into. And, and realize you can trigger peers into feeling that way about you. So you can never go wrong with being kind. You can never go wrong with understanding what their needs are and then making choices about what what to do, but to do it consciously. And not just fall in because, hey, maybe you had some funny peer relationships yourself, and maybe that's impacting your default style with your peers in a way that may not be serving you. Or ironically, if you came from a great family, they may be serving you fabulously. Some mm. people are so good at it. I just look at them and marvel Yeah, at how, huh. how they, they have that superpower. There's so much more I could ask you. I have questions that could take us several more hours. We're going to have to have you back to talk on a different topic, Carol. There's so much in the book. The book comes out this week. And if folks are listening as soon as this comes out, you have a live event that's available. Folks want to jump in more and really connect on this in more depth. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So our website is rtlinstitute.com. And let us know. You can you can email me there, Carol at rtlinstitute.com, and just let us know that you have bought the book and we will add you to the list and we will send you a masterclass and host a live webinar sometime in March. 
Yeah, great. Well, what a great invitation. Thank you for that. I will link up with the exact link in the episode notes. We'll get it in this week's weekly leadership guide. So if you're not already on that, go over to coachingforleaders.com. We'll make sure that you get access to that. Carol, thank you so much for your work and and you and David for all you've done. The book is Real-Time Leadership. Find your winning moves when the stakes are high. Thank you so much. Thank you. If this conversation with Carol was helpful to you, a few related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 257, How to Manage Former Peers, with my guest Tom Henschel. Tom and I talked about the reality that many of us face when we move into a new leadership role that we are suddenly managing people that used to be our peers. can be an awkward transition, but there are some very effective things to do at the beginning to make that transition smoother for everybody, episode 257, for more details there. I'd also recommend episode 555, How to Nail a Job Transition. Sikinder Singh Cassidy was my guest on that episode. We talked about her successful career as an executive and what she has done to navigate the transition process of moving jobs, sometimes moving organizations. A important complement to this conversation as well. It's not just the showing up in the new role but it's handling that in-between effectively. Episode 555, a really important complement to this conversation. And then finally, I recommend also episode 590, how to genuinely show up for others. Marshall Goldsmith was my guest on that episode talking about his most recent book. He cites Carol a bunch in that book, and one of the topics Marshall and I talked about in that conversation is the importance of singular empathy, of focusing on that person in the moment right now. We talk about how to do that in episode 590. A bunch of Carol's wisdom shows up in that conversation as well. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. Hey, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com if you haven't already. It's going to give you access to a whole bunch of resources, including the ability to search all of our past episodes by topic, and access to my interview notes. Every time I'm preparing interviews, I'm writing down notes, I'm writing out questions I'm thinking I might ask, I'm pulling some of the key highlights from guest books uh, when there is a book to go in and look at those in detail, and I'm making those notes available to you as part of your free membership. If you haven't already set up your free membership, go over to coachingforleaders.com, set that up, and you'll have access to a lot more. And if you've had a free membership for a bit and you're looking for more to accelerate your learning, you may want to find out more about Coaching for Leaders Plus, an opportunity to accelerate your learning and do a lot more with the resources we have here on the website. All of that you can find at coachingforleaders.com slash plus. Next Monday, I'm glad to welcome Adi Ignatius to the show. He is the editor-in-chief of the Harvard Business Review. Adi and I are going to be talking about leadership through the complexity of current events and navigating that on a daily basis, a challenge for so many of us. Adi and I are going to attempt to look at that a bit in next week's conversation that hopefully be helpful for all of us and how we handle that. Join me for that conversation with him next week, and I hope you have a great day. Take care.